It's great to be able to come back uh, this morning and to pick up from where Dan left off as he launched us in our series last week, uh, Deep Breath, Waiting for Pentecost. And as we go through these next few weeks, we are going to be looking at the person of the Holy Spirit and our relationship to him, our understanding of who he is, and then how that works out, particularly in our lives. And um, we were having a conversation this week at our dinner table uh, as a family, and um, Alessandra was sharing a story, a testimony, and we were talking about these things, about just some remarkable stories of God's power um, at work in extraordinary ways, um, but bringing life and renewing, and you know, it was just, it was just really, it was a wonderful story of, of that was faith was coming, and then I, I at one point. As the kids were like, oh, wow, this is, this is amazing. You know, so God does that. And I said, and I, and I said oh, yeah, he does. But, you know, it's not, it's not normal. And, um, you know, when you kind of let air out of a balloon and it just goes, I kind of felt that's what faith did in the room as I, as I said those words. And afterwards, I was like, no, no, that, that's not what I meant to say. That's, that's not actually true. What I, what I meant to say was, well, that's not normative. That's not maybe often what our experience, whether it's true or not, that might not be our experience, but it's, it's, that is actually the normal. That is what we're made and who we're made to be and how we're made to live. Um, there, um, sociologists kind of put it in these terms where they talk about normal. Normal is something that refers to that which conforms to norms, to rules that guide behavior. Normal is the act of abiding by them. Normative refers to what we perceive as normal or what we think should be normal, regardless of whether it actually is. So it's about our perception of our understanding, whether something is or, is or not. But we have this idea, well, that, you know, is that, is that true, is that right? So, for example... Um, Last week, a few of us went out for a little run, and I used to think, well, there aren't many people that do this. And then suddenly, last week, you realize, well, actually, 18,500 people apparently are running it this morning. And so it kind of felt like everyone you know, this is what we do. But that's probably not normal. That's probably not, you know, that was my experience of what it is, but it might not necessarily be normal for many people to be out at that time doing something like that. Um, and, uh, and actually, as you do it, and you kind of get to, but as soon as you kind of get into that scene, and you start running around with those people that do that kind of stuff, it really does become, actually, of course this is what we do. And we do one every other weekend, don't you? No. Um, but uh, it sort of normalizes, it keeps you humble. Um, but it was something that previously I thought, oh, that's pretty uncommon, but no. Not by that experience, not in that group, those people that I hang around with, this is, what, this is what you do. This is kind of totally what it is to be, you know, what you do. So as we look at this series of uh, Waiting for Pentecost, and we're looking at what, you know, who the Holy Spirit is, what difference he makes, how do we receive the Holy Spirit, how do we live life in the Spirit? Uh, I'm, I've been reflecting over my own experience as a follower of Jesus. You know, when I first came to faith, there were, you know, I had lots and lots of experiences of God and have since of God working powerfully, of the work of the Spirit, um, bringing me to faith, the discovery of Jesus, of who he was, of, the, of becoming a child of God. 
that in itself a work of the Holy Spirit, to experience God's freedom, his forgiveness, to know his comfort, the work of the Spirit in my life as the comforter, and how the Lord has guided me by his Spirit and spoken to me by his Spirit through Scripture and has guided me and given me a sense of purpose and mission. And when I, I think when I first came to faith, I just, this is what I learned. This is, like, this is Jesus, what Jesus did. It's like, well, so isn't that what we should do? And so off I went, and I heard Jesus speak, and I saw Jesus do things, and I prayed for Jesus to do stuff, because that's what I read and I understood in Scripture. And then I wonder if over time, as I went through and experienced more and more life in the church, whether that actually remained what I expected to be normal. Because as I grew up and the longer I stayed in church, maybe people said, oh, no, but not, that's not really for now. But is it? Because <laughs> I think it is. Because I think what I want to talk to us today about is actually what it means to get back to normal, what it means to be fully alive, to be fully human, which is what Jesus, through his life, through his death, through the resurrection, through the anointing and the sending of his spirit, that's what he brings us into. Uh, he gets us back to normal, to live the way that we were always created to live. My prayer, instead of letting air and faith leave the room, is that somehow God, by his spirit, would renew in us that sense of faith and raise in us that expectation of all that he would long and does long to do and does do and will yet do in us and through us and for us in the power of his spirit. You know, as we read scripture and we come to faith and we come to know Jesus and we come and we long to become like Jesus, we want to be about the stuff that Jesus was about, don't we? But is it possible? I mean, we have an understanding when we come to understanding the Holy Spirit and we think, you know, we, you know, we know the creeds, we can recite the creeds, we can refer to him as, you know, the person, the third person of the Trinity, but it feels a little two-dimensional. We might know that stuff, but are we, how does that affect our day-to-day -day lives? Our relationship with Jesus and, and, and through the Holy Spirit, what is that to be? What does that look like? What does it feel like? How does that translate daily in our walk with him. And I think often there's a tendency that we base that understanding. We form a whole theology around, you know, we talk in terms of, well, the gifts of the Spirit or character, those chains, the fruits of the Spirit. And so we start looking at our lives and say, yeah, that's, that's the evidence of the work of the Spirit and that's how he works. And it's, but it kind of comes a bit me-centric, doesn't it? And that's, that's not actually the right starting place for us to understand the relationship that we are to have and that Jesus intends for us to live with his spirit. And so we do better and we're meant to look at Jesus himself and look at his relationship to the Holy Spirit. And when we look at his life, and I'm going to take us through a little journey, we're going to look at his life and his, from his birth, and his growing up, to his baptism and his ministry and all these different phases and stages of Jesus' life, we're going to see the work of the Spirit and then understand the relationship of the Spirit to Jesus in and through that time. Now, sometimes we might say, so, well, Jesus did those things because he was God, right? 
Like Jesus was able to heal. Jesus lived the life that he did. He lived in obedience to God. Well, because he was God, duh. But that doesn't help us, does it? I mean, yes, that's true. Yes, he was. But that's not actually great news for us. If, well, if Jesus only did this and he only lived this because he was God, and that means he drew on his divinity, then what hope is there for us, actually? But I, what, I, what I want us to understand today is that Jesus, fully God and fully human, but as he lived his life here on earth, as he, as he went through his, his birth, his growth, and all these different stages of his life, he did so as one constrained by the Holy Spirit, fully surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, that he laid aside his, his divine nature, but he lived and worked out of it, as a human, fully human, going through these experiences as we do so that we in turn can look at his life and have hope and see what it is to be fully human, what it is to get back to normal and live a life in the power of his spirit, the more and the even greater life that he has for all of us. My prayer is that God, by his spirit, would stir in us a renewed sense of wonder and gratitude for the grace that Jesus offers us today in the gift of his spirit. So what was that relationship of Jesus to the Holy Spirit? How do we see that at work in his life? And... Um, Sinclair Ferguson, his book, Writing on the Holy Spirit, talks in terms of three distinct stages uh, in the life of Christ where we get to see the relationship, the nature of the relationship and the outworking of this relationship of Jesus with the Holy Spirit. It starts out with his conception. And we, we, we're familiar with those Advent readings as we read about this incredible outpouring of prophetic utterances, of, of proclamation of Jesus who was to come and the Holy Spirit speaking um, to Zechariah about John's birth and that his wife, who was old in age, was going to have a baby and, and the Spirit of God spoke and that the Spirit would fill him inside his mother's womb so that from within the womb he would be able to declare and proclaim and recognize and announce the coming of the Messiah, of the Christ, of Jesus. So much so that remember when Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and she was pregnant with John in her child, in her, in her belly womb and, um, and, and Mary came to visit that the baby leapt, leapt, anointed by the Spirit that he recognized, that he affirmed, that he proclaimed, this is Jesus, he is the one. And then the pronouncements over to Mary that Gabriel the angel came and spoke and said, you know, you are highly favored. He said more than that. He said, you found favor with God, behold, you will, be, you will conceive uh, and in, in your womb will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And, and later, um, Elizabeth, as I've said, she herself, filled with the Holy Spirit, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit uh, of your womb. 
But it wasn't just at the time of Jesus' birth, of course. It was pronounced hundreds of years before the prophet um, Isaiah uh, spoke of it. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so Jesus was born, his, he was pronounced, he was promised, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, like the, the fulfillment of this promise. And then when he was born, remember, there were, there were more prophetic words. This is after a, a period of time where like nothing had been spoken. It had been silence, tumbleweed stuff, nothing. And then in the, in the birth, in, that, in the wonderful birth narratives, we hear all these wonderful stories of, and this prophetic utterances. Remember Simeon and Anna in the temple when Jesus is taken to the temple. It had been revealed to him in the Holy Spirit that he would not see death and that he, would see, he had seen the Lord's Christ and he came in the Spirit to the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the Lord, he took him in his arms and, said, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is it. This is what you promised. I'm seeing it. And it was by the Spirit of God that he recognized it. And Anna, remember, she, she lived, she spent her time in the temple praising and worshiping and fasting and praying. And coming up at that very hour when Jesus was in the temple, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Remarkable, remarkable uh, work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, in conception, in his birth, and then in his growth, in his, in his maturing as a, as a young boy. See, Jesus was constrained. We sang it in that song, right? Come thou font, that I would be forever constrained. Like Jesus was held within what some theologians like this force field of the Holy Spirit that guided and carried him through his life, that in every phase of his life, as a baby, as a young child, as an adolescent, in the Spirit, he had everything he needed for that stage of his life. Do you remember where Jesus goes to, uh, his, his parents are looking for him, and, and, but as he's, as, he's a, as he's a young boy and he's growing up, and people were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. And we read in Luke 2, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew and matured. He was never alone. He was, as um, the theologian Basil of Caesarea says, he had the inseparable companion of the Holy Spirit throughout his life and throughout his childhood. And then, and then, as we get to this morning, as we come to the baptism of Jesus, we see this anointing for ministry. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be jumping all over the place, but this is, this is a story about Jesus' baptism where when all the people were being baptized, Jesus, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, it says the heavens were opened 
And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The anointing of Jesus at the outset, the launching of his ministry, of his public ministry. We don't read actually anything, do we, about Jesus in his sort of before this in terms of his ministry. From this point, from this moment, Jesus is launched in ministry where he is anointed by the Holy Spirit for this time, for this moment, for this purpose. John the Baptist has said, I'm going to baptize you with water, but one is coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it a beautiful thing, actually, as we read these words? We can skip over them, but Jesus is there and he's praying, the heavens open, and he hears the words of his Father saying, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't at that point healed anyone, he hadn't preached any knockout sermons, he hadn't, he hadn't served anyone, he hadn't restored sight to anybody, he hadn't. And at that point, God said and affirmed to him, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Isn't that a beautiful message for all of us as adopted children of God, that we receive God's full pleasure, not for anything that we have done or could do, but for who we are as his children, our status before him as children of God. We are accepted And we are loved because we are in Christ. And there is nothing that we could do to add to that. And so Jesus goes to be baptized. Well, baptism baptism was to be, as John said, to be baptized, to be cleansed from your sins and be baptized. Well, Jesus, did he need to be baptized? Did he have sins that he needed to be cleansed of? Well, the answer to that is no. Jesus, Jesus didn't. He was constrained. Jesus lived a perfect life within the power of the Spirit, constrained by the Spirit that he lived, that he was without sin. When Jesus was baptized, it wasn't a cleansing for Jesus, but it was a picture for us. A revelation to Israel of, of Jesus' solidarity with all people, with all of humanity. To be baptized was to go into the water to to die and to be born again. It was a point towards the cross. It was a step towards what Jesus would ultimately do for us in dying and rising again. And the significance of where, you know, Jesus is is in the Jordan. He's going to be baptized in the Jordan. Well, what, what does the Jordan mean to the people of Israel? It's where they received their inheritance As they crossed into the promised land, it was about new beginning. It was a a transition from the old world into the new. Do you remember they were were told to like take 12 stones? Joshua threw 12 stones in the water, like death, representing the 12 12 tribes of the old life that was being left behind. And as they crossed the other side, they got 12 stones, which represented the tribes, and they built a pillar to remember. And so this is the new life that we've entered into the fulfillment of the promise of what God is doing and has done for us. Jesus in being baptized was stepping into our shoes. And 
And from that point, and, and, and in the words that were spoken over him, we're, we're connected with the words of uh, the Psalm, Psalm 2. Where the psalmist writes, The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And also with, with Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, who I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And so it was that Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes upon him like a dove, in bodily form like a dove. And we're reminded of that creation story where the dove, the, the, the Spirit descended on wings over the waters and brought new life, new creation, order to chaos. And so Jesus now enters into this purpose and into this mission anointed by God. And Jesus then, full of the Holy Spirit, we read on in Luke 4, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit and his first task that was, was a testing place. It was a, the desert, the wilderness. Is a, is a, we understand in terms of that place of struggle, but it's also a place of meeting God. But in this case, Jesus is sent out where he, is, he does battle with the devil, the accuser. And again, it's, it's the temptation is, it's interesting, we look at the temptations that were thrown at him, and each one of them actually is, is trying to get Jesus, hey, draw on your divinity, take me on, the devil is saying. Hey, if you're, if you're the son of God, do this. Be the God-man. But in each case, Jesus responds in his humanity. It's, by the, it's the spirit of God that he draws on in his humanity to overcome everything that Satan throws against him. Now you see, where Jesus, the second Adam, succeeded and overcame the temptation, where the first Adam failed, Jesus, the second Adam, did not succumb to that temptation. And as a man... As a man filled with the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, constrained by the Spirit of God, Jesus overcomes and he defeats Satan. See, only a man can rob Satan of what a man had given to Satan. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sound effects. <clears throat> See, again, it's Jesus, fully human, fully inspired, full of the Holy Spirit who overcomes. And that's good news for us. <coughs> that's good news for us. And so Jesus is launched into it from, from that place. So Jesus overcomes, he defeats uh, the enemy. And then we read, read that Jesus in verse 14 of Luke 4, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee where he then stands up in front of the leaders, reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and speaks to them, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover sight to the blind, liberty for those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And what follows then is this ministry of Jesus that is marked by the Spirit. He proclaims the good news. Jesus does bring freedom. He speaks. He sets uh, captives free. He opens the eyes of the blind. The lame are healed. The oppressed are set free. He casts out demons. And Jesus teaches with an authority that's like, we have not heard teaching like this before. Fully man. Fully dependent on his father to do the father's will. That's why he was his, 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 uh, his ministry in Acts, Peter summed it up. He said, well, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Jesus, in his conception, his birth, his growth, in his baptism, through the temptation, through his ministry, and through his death, resurrection, and ascension, filled with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we read in Hebrews who, how much through the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God how he would purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Paul writes in Romans 1 verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And in his ascension where Jesus, where we read in Acts 1 verses 8 to 9, Jesus said to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, Jesus sets his face to the cross from, the, from his anointing as he sets the ministry as Jesus endures the cross, his, his arrest, his torture, his, his beating, the crucifixion is endured sustained, comforted by the Holy Spirit to death and beyond. And Jesus then ascended promises. He will send his spirit upon his disciples. Peter says that we need to repent and be baptized, every one of us, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, that we would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, from this point, we understand that to receive Jesus is to receive his spirit. To receive his spirit is to receive Jesus. So as I think Dan said last week, it's not an option. It's just, it's, it's, how, we, it's how we know Christ, how we live. It's getting back to normal. That same spirit, that same spirit that was in Jesus is in us today. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is in us, dwells in us today. So this idea, well, Jesus did those things and he lived that life because he was divine. But Jesus laid aside his majesty. He didn't, he didn't draw on 
his divinity to overcome. It was in his humanity, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Surrendered to the will of God, constrained by the Spirit. Peter and Paul did miracles. They healed, they raised people, but they, they weren't divine. They healed the sick. They, they read, discerned people's minds. But they were operating by that same spirit that Jesus, that, that, that Jesus empowered, that, that empowered him. So when we look at what it is to live this life, what it means to get back to normal, what it is to live the relationship to the, to the spirit, we look at Jesus, the man, and we see him as our, as our prototype of what a true human being is and how we live. A life lived under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is getting back to normal. This is what we were always made for. Have you ever kind of noticed, have you ever been in situations where you're actually pretty weary and you're going out and maybe in a place of ministry and you, you're, you're leaving the house and you're going to be somewhere, you're serving. And I know there are, I mean, all of us pretty much, we serve in one way or another. But there's something that happens when we're out there and we may have, we've got nothing of our own to give, but we come back thinking, ah, I just feel kind of alive. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, just renewed. Why? Because it's how we're wired. It's how we're made to live. And it's by God's spirit that he gets us back to normal. He brings us back to that order and that relationship that we are always meant to enjoy with him. See, Jesus lived his life under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He was empowered and enabled and held by the Holy Spirit within the will of God. Jesus entered into and experienced the whole gamut of human experience as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit, so that by the Spirit he could transform it. And so we, and so we, by his Spirit, can know that transforming power in every area of our lives. That God makes us new. And he's getting us back to normal. But normal is, is so much better than maybe what we've tended to think, well, I guess this is it. Because normal is the stuff of intimacy that Jesus enjoyed with his father throughout his entire life. To be about the father's business. <laughs> Jesus was about the Father's business. He, he discerned the thoughts of others. He, he, he was about healing the sick. He, but because he was God alone, well, no, yeah, he was God. But that's not why. That's not how. That would be a false understanding. Jesus did all those things as a fully man, as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit. He didn't cheat. didn't draw on his divinity in those moments. Because if he had have done, what help would that be for us, right? But as a man, Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, as we do. As a, as a human was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus overcame. And that means that so can we. And so do we. So what does it mean for us? Is it 
possible? Can we or even should we expect without sounding a bit silly and emotional to expect more in this life and more in our faith and our walk with God that we can actually hope for and expect to be about and, and see God do even greater things in us and through us and, and in our world around us as we pray. When Jesus said that you will do even greater things than these, do you think he meant it? Do you think that's something that he's trying to get at for us? That, hey, don't settle for less. Don't settle for what has become normative. I want to give you, I want to get you back to normal, which is to get you back into that beautiful relationship with the Father. Yeah, we can, we can experience that. I mean, what a gift. That through the indwelling of God's Spirit in us, we can, we can know that holiness and joy. We are made right in him. We can, we can experience the genuine humanness, the humanity of Christ that, that's vital for our imitation of his life. But even more of that, that his perfect human life would count savingly uh, and uniquely in the place of our sinners. This is what Jesus has done for us. We're getting back to normal through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're made for this. We're made for more. Let's not sit back and settle with our hands in our pockets. Let's take our hands out of our pockets and lay our hands on people and pray, Lord, come in power and would you heal? Lord, would you do even greater things than this? Lord, would you, would you restore sight? Would you restore faith? Would you restore marriages? Would you restore relationships? Would you restore this family? Would you, would you renew hope? Would you build faith? Would you transform this city? Would you bring peace? Lord, come by your spirit. Can we pray those prayers? I mean, maybe we wonder whether we should. I think we should. I think that's what Jesus is asking us. I think that's what the Spirit of God is impressing upon us and empowering us to do and inviting us into. Now, Jesus' life was unique. He had a unique purpose. We have, none of us have come that by our lives, we're going to free humanity from, from, from sin, break the power of sin. And make a way. That's, that's not how Jesus has done that. So Jesus, Jesus was uniquely empowered. He was uniquely gifted. He was uniquely anointed in that regard for what he had to do. But we're also to be about his business and about his work. And so that same spirit is anointed upon us. Is that, yeah, we too can be about the stuff that Jesus was about. Like to live the Jesus life. Now, to be invited into the so much more. That same spirit that indwelt Jesus' earthly life, his death, his resurrection, is ours today. That same spirit is given to us. He works on us. He works through us. He dwells in us. He's given to us. But we must be received. Jesus says, hey, all who receive me receive my spirit. That we might glorify him. Somehow, I think we might feel there's a gap. Because if that's normal, you think, yeah, but then that, because I'm not living very normal life. Like, I want to know more of that. Maybe that's the first question. Like, do you want to know more of that in your life? I mean, ask yourself now, do I want to know more of that? Do I want to be about that stuff? Or am I just content with showing up on a Sunday and ticking a box? Or do I want to be about the kingdom purposes of God? And I, and I know I'm kind of, I'm waiting it, right? right? 
with the, with the answer, the correct answer is this. <laughs> but I do pray that that is our response. Like, yes, Lord, please, more. And it's not for our sake. See, our purpose, see, we, we can know holiness and joy. We can experience and be a part of the works and the power of God. But that's not the purpose, right? That's, that's kind of the fruit. That's the experience. That's what, we'll, that's what we will live. That'll be some of the fruits of what we get. But our purpose is to join with God's purpose. It's not, it's not actually about, like, you know, my, as, I mean, God, will, we're sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He transforms us. But he does it as we do his work. So it's like, which do we do first? Do we, like, get sanctified or, like, go and be about the mission? Or just actually... Prayer and world-engaging life are woven into the same fabric of life in the spirit, Joel Green says. I love that. Prayer and world-engaging life are woven into the same fabric of life in the spirit. See, life in the spirit is not to be taken lightly, but we nurture it. We care for it. Jesus was doing what? When When the Father spoke, when the heavens opened, he was praying. And the spirit of God descended on him. He expected his disciples to do the same. He, we're asked and invited to do the same. When you pray, when we, when we pause, when we invite the Holy Spirit to come daily throughout our day. Remember, we've been talking about these rhythms and patterns. Lord, come, renew me, align me to your purpose. But Jesus nurtured that life through prayer and public engagement. Right? It was through prayer and mission. It was the two things together. Because it's in being about God's purpose and about God's business that he equips us and anoints us for his purpose, for his church. And for the, and for the glory of Christ, that Jesus would be exalted. The disciples, when we read about the disciples in Acts, they are serving the kingdom of God and they're praying. And there's that, remember that great, there's that great verse in uh, Acts 4. Where um, you know they just come out of prison, they come back, and then and then the, the the disciples are praying, and they say, "Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness, while you stretch out your hands to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken; they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness emboldened for the purpose for which God has called us, his purpose, his works, to bring salvation to all peoples through the, through the life, the death, the exaltation of Jesus. Because to embrace this purpose is to access the empowering and guiding activity of the Holy Spirit that end, that by which we enter into a new relationship with God as our Father and with community of God's people as, as our family. How do we get back to that main purpose? How can we know and, and experience that more of life that Jesus invites us into? Actually, it's about recovering God's purpose, and sense of his understanding of his purpose in our lives. That we would be emboldened in our life, that we would be about seeing others come to know him, that we would be passionate. I was thinking this morning, how many times, you know, how many people have we seen come to faith recently? 
I said, oh, yeah, not me. But like, how many people are we telling about Jesus? Like, you know, think about our day. I would love us to have testimonies weekly. Of, I've had these conversations with, with my friends, and I, and I just had a chance to share about Jesus. I pray, Lord, by your spirit, would we be emboldened in our faith? And to tell more about this life, this, this, you get us into this beautiful relationship with you for all that Jesus has done and all that he enables. Can we really expect more? Can God bring us back? To, can, can we experience this normal? Can God get us back there? Well, it starts with a decision uh, to embrace him without reservation. It's for us. It's a gift that is given. Jesus says you can have this, but we've got to receive it. We've got to invite it. Say, yes, Lord, I want it. I want it. Like everything else. I lay it all down. I lay it down, Jesus, because I, I want to be about this. I want to know life. I want to close the gap. I want to close the gap, Lord, on, on kind of what I see and what I long for and what I'm living. I want to close the gap, Lord. I want to see more of you. So we surrender to him and we allow, we want to invite and allow him to reorient our lives to the one purpose of God. That all would be saved. That Jesus would be glorified. The hearts would be healed, relationships restored, that we would know that holiness and joy that we too and others could share in that beautiful intimacy that Jesus enjoyed with his father throughout his entire life. And for that, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen.